And you may be seated. If you want to find your Bible, turn to 2 Timothy chapter 2. And uh, all right, as we're getting started here, we got all the students right here up front. I'm going to watch and see if you guys all stay awake with your three hours of sleep you got this weekend. YouTube, Ryan Davis, right there. All right, I'm going to start this off with a pop quiz, okay? And just looking around, I see some dread that just went into some of your faces, okay? And so we're like, hey, this isn't Monday, and some of you brought terror back from like junior high memories. All right, this is a pop quiz. What is it that Jesus has called us to do? Like, make sure you do this. Anybody got any clue? Oh, yeah. Oh, so much better than first service. That's right. That's because you got the students here. That's right. We are to make disciples. Anybody know where that might be found? Like where Jesus told us, if you need a hint, like we spent all last week looking at it. Oh, is it coming back to you? Where is it? Okay. The person that said the Bible, you were right. That's good. Okay, and but I heard Matthew 28, 18 through 20. If you said that, you can put a little star on your paper. You've done a great job. There it is, Matthew 28, 18 through 20. You got an A on the pop quiz. And Jesus came up and spoke to them saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. This is what I want you to do. I want you to go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the triune God, And I want you to teach them to observe all that I commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. This is what Jesus wants us to do. It is called the Great Commission, not the Great Omission. And yet that's what's happened. We're really not about making disciples. The great need, I think, in this generation is that we need people who see themselves as spiritual influencers. I can tell you, like in our schools, we need students that are not just social followers, but are spiritual influencers that are not ashamed of Jesus and actually are trying to engage fellow students with meaningful conversations about knowing Christ and what it means to follow him. In our families, we need parents and grandparents that see themselves as just spiritual influencers, not just those who like, well, we're just trying to get through the week. We need him in our community. I can tell you in our church, we've got a lot of spiritual influencers, but we need more. We need folks that are willing to take the next step to go, you know, it's not just about me just being here, but me being involved and trying to intentionally help develop the spiritual lives of others. And the question is, how do you do this? Last week, we saw how Jesus made disciples. Remember, he was connecting with people. He was calling them to himself. He was communicating. He was coaching them. He was caring for them, and he commissioned them. But how do you and I develop as a spiritual influencer? Well, that's why I want you to take a look at 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1-7. through 7. These verses literally will be life-changing if you take them to its full effect. And I want to give you this morning just the three keys to developing as a spiritual influencer. And the first one is this. You've got to have the right power. We've looked at this before, but look at chapter 2, verse 1. You therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. The Lord wants us to be empowered with his strength. Jesus says, apart from me, you can do nothing. Now, you can take him at his word or you can try it on your own. But apart from truly trusting Christ and receiving grace, your work doesn't really amount to much. But what Paul is saying is you find your strength in knowing Jesus. To be strong in the grace is to be empowered. And the tense here is the idea that you keep going to Jesus for strength. 
peace, hope, perspective, endurance, love, the ability to forgive. That's why Paul says, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. So the same grace that saved you from your sins, remember like Ephesians 2.8, which says, for by grace you have been saved through faith, this same grace that saved you also strengthens you. And that's what Jesus wants to do, to fill us with his strength, his grace. And every time you intentionally seek him, it's like water to your soul. It brings rejuvenation, renewal, strength. And the Christian is the one who's learning the habits of going to God for grace. And why does God give grace to us even when we don't seek him? The purpose for God's grace is that you will know how much he loves you that you will be strong in his love so that you will share his grace, his love, with others. God's grace is to our souls like water is to our bodies. It refreshes, it restores, it renews. And so if you're going to have a ministry as a spiritual influencer, you've got to have the right power to be strong in his grace. But notice this. You also have to have the right priority. So not only do you have the right power, but you have the right priority. Look at chapter 2, verse 2. The things which you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. What Paul is saying is basically what Jesus said. We are to take the truth that God has given, and we are to pass it on to other individuals who will continue the pattern. To entrust is to take something that is of great value and to hold on to it, deposit it into safekeeping with another. And so that's what we do. And in this verse, you've got four generations. What Paul did is he poured in the truth, the truth that's recorded like in the New Testament into Timothy's life. This truth, Timothy was to pass on to others who were to have the vision of continuing and doing it with others as well. So you could think of it this way. What started with Jesus continues with Paul, went into Timothy, Timothy gave it to others, others passed it on, even to this very moment, this chain of truth remains unbroken. And the question is, will we pass it on to the next generation? Will we see ourselves as spiritual influencers? This is what we're to do. And it's interesting, what kind of people are we to become and are we to look for? Fat people. Remember that acronym? Faithful, able, teachable. The things that you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, these entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. They are trustworthy. They are dependable. They have the ability to actually do this. They've got some vision that God is using them as a spiritual influencer, and they are teachable. Lord, teach me. This verse, chapter 2, verse 2, you might want to put a mark by it. It is one of the key texts on personal discipleship. I gave you the last couple of weeks a, a just a simple definition of what is discipleship. It is the intentional and relational process of maturing Christ-centered believers and mobilizing them for ministry. It's intentional. It's relational. It's a process of seeing people brought to the fullness of maturity in Christ and mobilized for ministry. And so that's why we share truth. God wants his people Christ-centered. He wants his truth shaping how we think, what we believe, how we live, our behaviors, our action, how we go about our jobs, how we see our life in this community. 
Everything about us, God wants a Christ-centeredness into it. This past week, I had the opportunity of just kind of going on a prayer walk on a country road. And if you're new to Texas, uh, you've noticed all these purple flowers that are like everywhere. This is like one of the great things of living in the state of Texas. They're not going to be around forever. And you've noticed that people take their like children and they put them in these fields of purple flowers. These are called the Texas Blue Bonnets. And they're taking pictures. This is a tradition. You'll catch on and pretty soon you'll be doing this too. And this will seem normal. You learn it. Other parts of the country, they don't do things like this. But here in Texas, that's what we do. Now, these blue bonnets, like I was noticing as I was walking, like there'd be like these blankets, just like a whole hillside alongside the road of covered with these purple flowers, these Texas blue bonnets. And then every once in a while, you'd find like one by itself or maybe two or three. And I was thinking about that. Like, how did you get a blanket of blue bonnets? Well, it likely started with like one or two seeds. And that seed took root. It bloomed and blossomed. And, and there are more seeds that fell around it. And that process continued and continued. And pretty soon you've got like these wave of purple blue bonnets just waving in the wind. But every once in a while I'd notice that there'd be like one or just like two or three kind of like all by themselves. And what is happening is that process going to continue. And friends, that's a lot like discipleship. When you think of all these blue bonnets and you see them, God has planted the seed. It started with Paul and Paul planted it in Timothy. And Timothy was to plant it in others who were to continue. And you know what? That's what's happening even today. God intends for you and I to really own the mission of Jesus. That is to take the seed of God's word and entrust it to others. Involve, encourage, whether they be with our children, our students, our college students, any adults. What we want to do is develop a personal discipleship ministry. And that's what this text is all about. Friends, you see, the influence that we have comes from the way that we live. And if you and I are going to be spiritual influencers, we've got to have the right power, God's grace, his strength. We've got to have the right priorities, making disciples, seeing people come to maturity in Christ in every aspect of their being, that they develop a Christ-centeredness about them. But you also have to have the right perspective. Now, I'm going to guess that uh, most of you, yeah, I get it. I need God's grace. And, I, and I, I understand that I've got to do my life in God's power. I want that. I also understand that he's commissioned me to make disciples. I got it. I know the reference. I see it here in chapter 2, verse 2. I got it. Here's the problem. We know, but we often don't do. We understand, but understanding something is far different than actually doing it. That's why in verses 3 through 7, Paul gives us the right perspective. If you're going to be a spiritual influencer, you not only have to have the right power and the right priorities, you've got to have the right perspective. And so Paul is going to give three metaphors for ministry. He's going to, just like Jesus, paint pictures, pictures that we can remember, pictures that you and I need to know if we're really going to be spiritual influencers. And so he's going to use three rather diverse occupations that are found in Roman civilization, that of a soldier, that of an athlete, and that of a farmer. And he is going to show that there are parallels to these occupations and how we go about our spiritual life as a spiritual influencer. And the first picture he gives us is that of the dedica dedication of a soldier. Look at chapter 2, verse 3. He says, 
Suffer hardship with me as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier, an act of service, entangles himself in the affairs of everyday life so that he may please the one who enlisted him as a soldier. So now he's calling to mind something that every citizen, every person in the Roman Empire be very familiar with, and that is a Roman soldier. Roman soldiers were known to be utterly faithful to the commands of their commander, and they had a willingness to suffer. Just like soldiers today. You know that every soldier is listening to follow through with whatever they're being commanded to do, and they are willing to suffer. Even lay it all on the line if need be. That is why when you see a soldier, whether at the uh, airport or in our church or in the community, you go up and you thank them for their service. Why? Because they're willing to suffer and they're being faithful to preserve our freedom. And what Paul is saying is, listen, you're familiar with soldiers. You're one. You've got to have a willingness to suffer Paul says, join with me, suffer hardship with me. Don't be surprised when you face difficulty. Difficulty is a part of life, but it is not to deter you from being a spiritual influencer. And I want to comment on verses 3 and 4. There are some folks that say, uh, you know, what this is doing is saying, listen, if you're really going to be a soldier for Christ, you've got to be involved in a spiritual work. Your life work has to be either a missionary or a pastor. Because there's the sacred work. That's the really good work. The people that are really serious about Jesus. And then you have the secular work. All the other folks, you know, that are involved in jobs that are absolutely meaningless. And all it's all going to burn and it doesn't amount to much. You got the sacred and the secular. And I want you to know that that type of thinking is absolutely false. The scriptures don't bifurcate and say, well, you've got spiritual and sacred, and you've got secular. Actually, what the scriptures call for is a God-centered approach to all of life, whatever you're doing, whether you're a plumber or a pastor, that what you do during the week is a significant part of your ministry, that God intends for you to represent him. He's gifted, he's called, and he wants to do his work through you in his strength. And so when he says, suffer hardship with me as a good soldier of Christ Jesus, He's saying, get ready. You're going to have hardships in life. I can assure you, every single person in this room has some difficulties and some obstacles. I mean, anything from disappointment to depression, uh, being discouraged. You've got folks that are perhaps being difficult. You've got folks that are making your life miserable. I mean, you can have people that even just try to attack a church. You've got all sorts of challenges and difficulties. Let me ask you this question. Do the challenges and the obstacles in your life Are they keeping you from a ministry of spiritual influence? Have they relegated you to someone like, hey, you know what? I'm not going to involve myself with people in their development. If they have, I've got a text for you. Suffer hardship with me as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. He says, no soldier in active service entangles himself in the affairs of everyday life. The idea of entanglement is that you are caught up. You're like trapped. Does daily living keep you from God's spiritual mission? Are you so focused on just kind of the here and now and life on the horizontal that you give little thought to Jesus and what he's called you to do of being a spiritual influencer in the lives of other people? Now, every soldier needs rest. Don't get me wrong here. 
But what God is saying is you've got to have the right perspective if you're going to be a spiritual influencer. You need to be willing to suffer hardship. And I will tell you that oftentimes people are, Christians are typically rather surprised, surprised that the Christian life isn't easy. They're like, man, it should be easy. I'm trusting Jesus. Life should be fine. I should have no problems. No, life has trials and difficulties. And the beauty of Christianity is that we find that God actually enters into our suffering and our hardships. Let me give you an awesome verse. Our commander actually bears our burden. Psalm 68 verse 19 says, Blessed be the Lord who daily bears our burden, the God who is our salvation. Did you get that? God daily bears our burden. God isn't removed from our suffering. He actually enters into it. He carries it through us, with us. He is intimately acquainted with our difficulties. It is why Jesus said, like in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28 and following, he says, Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You come to me. You got problems? I'm a commander who not only calls you to battle, I call you to myself and I enter into your challenges and difficulties. And did you notice in verse 4, we are to please the one who enlisted us as a soldier. When we carry through the ministry in Christ's strength, when we don't give up on influencing whether our kids or a fellow student or someone in our church to help them, encourage them in their walk, it is pleasing to the one who enlisted us. D.O. Moody, a famous evangelist who's gone on to be with the Lord, gave us this quote. There are very few who in their hearts do not believe in God, but they will not do, what they will not do is give him exclusive right of way. They are not ready to promise full allegiance to God alone because their worship is divided. On Sunday, he worships God. On weekdays, God has little or no place in his thoughts. See, it's like this right now, coming on a Sunday morning, worshiping the Lord, gathering with his people, praying, reading the word. Man, we are focused on God. Got it. The problem is, as we hit Monday through Friday, Saturday, we're not even thinking remotely about God. Then we kind of like, oh, Sunday's coming. Oh, and we refocus our attention. What God is calling us is to enter into a full-time relationship with him to engage, to be willing to suffer. And that's what he's telling us. And I, I'll tell you that sometimes our situations are stressful and they're painful, but you know what God does? He uses them to help us grow. You see, God doesn't erase away all the stress. What he does, he uses our disappointments and even our failures and our periods of suffering to accomplish a work in us. Pastor John Ortberg from California writes this, God isn't at work producing the circumstances I want. God is at work in bad circumstances to produce the me he wants. It's through difficulty that we learn that God is conforming us to the image of his son. He matures us through brokenness. And so Paul says, listen, if you're going to be involved as a spiritual influencer, you've got to have the right perspective. You need to have the dedication like a soldier. Look at verse 5. He gives us another picture that gives us perspective of a spiritual influencer. And that is, you need to have the discipline 
as an athlete. Look at verse 5. He says, also, if anyone competes as an athlete, he does not win the prize unless he competes according to the rules. So now he's calling to mind athletics. Now, the Romans adopted the Greeks' athletic, just they, they were just enamored with Greek athletes. So if you want to know where the Olympics came from, they came from the Greeks. And the Romans basically just adopted it. And so these athletes, they would throw javelins, they'd box, they'd wrestle, they would run, they'd throw things. That's, that's what they did. And you see that even like in modern Olympics, this is still carried on. Some of the exact same sort of things they did, they did way back then. Now, in order to compete as an athlete, as a Greek or as a Roman, you had to follow rules. So as a Greek athlete, um, you had a 10-month training period that you had to follow all sorts of rules, dietary, practice, etc. And you had to go to a temple of Zeus and swear to Zeus that you followed through on this 10-month preparatory uh, training time in order to compete. And then, of course, when you got into the event, you know what you had to do. You had to follow the rules that were given. And we get that. Now, if you broke any of the rules, any of the rules in training or any of the rules in competition, you were disqualified. That's how it worked. And we get that. And what Paul is telling us is this. There's a prize for those who compete and win. For the Greek, this was like a wreath. And it might look a little weird, but they put this green, evergreen wreath on your head. And you're like, man, that's not really cool looking. I'll tell you, for a Greek or a Roman to get that, like, that is awesome. Because that is how they brought honor to themselves, to their family, to their province, to their state. It was a big deal. It was kind of like the equivalent of putting a gold medal, like, wow, you've done it. And we're all watching and we're all cheering. Good for you. What Paul is saying, though, is if you and I, we're going to be spiritual influencers, we've got to develop the discipline of an athlete. You see, if you violate God's word, you break his moral code, you just kind of like put God on the sideline and you don't walk with him, when you sin, if it's a serious sin, your integrity takes a hit. You're going to be sidelined. Now, it doesn't mean that you're sidelined forever, but you need to understand something. If you're going to be a spiritual influencer, there needs to be integrity about your life. What you say on Sunday as a reality on Monday, on the court, in the classroom, at band, with your friends, when your parents are around, and when they're not. That you're the same guy and gal at work as you are at church. Now, we get it. We understand that in athletes today, if you break the rules, guess what? You're disqualified. So, for instance, if you're an athlete, you are not to use uh, performance-enhancing drugs for a variety of reasons. You may gain some muscle mass, but you're going to go crazy. And it'll give you an unfair advantage. And if you are detected through blood tests, guess what? You're disqualified. All of your medals, they all go away. They're taken back. Or like in baseball. Baseball pitchers, you can't scuff the ball. You can't put some sort of like slick substance that you got in your mitt there and you throw it. No wonder the guy can't hit the ball or the gal can't hit it. If you're discovered doing that, guess what? You are disqualified. Your team is automatically disqualified. We get it. If you're a runner, uh, you probably remember this. Uh, that didn't happen too long ago. 2015, the Go St. Louis Marathon, pretty significant size marathon. There was a gal by the name of Kendall Schler. And she won the women's event. In fact, there's a picture of her. Now, a marathon, you know, 26 plus miles. Uh, there were some things that were rather peculiar about Kendall. When she finished, uh, she wasn't sweating. 
or were even breathing heavily. And it was that gal behind her is, Ken, uh, is Jackie Joyner Kersey. She had just taken a picture uh, with her. She receives $1,500 prize money and automatic qualification for the Boston Marathon for having won. But people were growing rather suspicious. She wasn't breathing hard. And furthermore, she had not had gone through any of the checkpoints. There were no pictures of her. And she was discovered to be a fraud. She slipped in after the last checkpoint. I don't even know how you did that. She slid in. And she started running. And she finished first. There's this great celebration. But actually, she's a fraud. And she's disqualified. Now, she probably got the idea from the most infamous marathon cheater, a gal by the name of Rosie Ruiz. In 1979, this is crazy, but Rosie Ruiz, competing in the New York Marathon, actually used, did this, she used public transportation for part of the race, okay? It's a great way to get her breath back, kind of get perspective, and she slipped back into the race and actually ended up qualifying for the Boston Marathon that was ran in 1980. Well, she's like, man, this is so good. I know exactly what to do. So Rosie Ruiz, she actually ent- she enters in the race and somehow she slips back into the race uh, right after the final checkpoint and she wins the Boston Marathon for all the females and does it in a record time. And people were like, who is this gal? In fact, she didn't even look like a great marathon runner. And again, there were the telltale signs that she wasn't breathing heavily, nor was she sweating. And furthermore, they started doing all the checkpoints, and they found out that this woman was a cheater. And actually, they discovered uh, that uh, once she was identified publicly as this cheater, there was someone that actually rode the bus with her at the New York Marathon, a reporter, and this all kind of came out. And so she's known as this great cheater, and of course, she's been stripped of all the accolades that would normally come from winning. I tell you this because God's got a moral law. He wants you to walk according to his word. It may not be popular, but it is holy. And it's what he's called you to. And if you violate it, friends, your integrity is going to take a hit. The reason that he tells us about the athlete is is that you and I need to have integrity. And it's the discipline of, of following God and his word that will keep us from violating it. Now, I'll tell you, God gives you the strength. You can't follow the word just on your own effort. That's why you're ready to be strong in the grace that Christ gives us. Chapter 2, verse 1. But Paul makes this a major theme in the New Testament. Remember in 1 Corinthians chapter 9? He said this. Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but only one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may win. By the way, if you're running in a race, that's what you want to do. You want to win. Everyone who competes in the games exercises self-control in all things. They then do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. Therefore, Paul says, I run in such a way as not without aim. I box in such a way as not just beating the air, but I discipline my body and make it my slave so that after I preach to others, I myself will not be disqualified. And so what he does is he's saying, listen, you're going to have temptations. And I'll, I'll tell you, my strongest temptations come when I'm not finding my satisfaction in Christ. And let me give you the three big areas where Satan tries to get you disqualified. Sex, outside of marriage, greed, money, and power, pride, the preoccupation with self and self-promotion. I'll tell you, every single person here faces temptation. This week, 100% of us face temptation. 
And I also tell you this, there is always a way of escape. 1 Corinthians 10.13, you might want to write it down, because this verse comes in so handy so often. He says, no temptation is overtaking you, but such as is common to man, and God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will provide the way of escape also, so that you will be able to endure it. You're going to face temptation. There are all these opportunities to sideline you from a spiritual, being a spiritual influencer. But God will always give you the way of escape. And let me tell you how you find it. You say, Lord, how do I get out? You think about Jesus and ask him for help out, and he will show you the way. It might be to leave the room. It might be to leave the car. It might be to turn the channel or turn it off. But there is always a way of escape. You don't have to bite into the lure of temptation. And if you do, the choice was yours. But you've got God's word on it. There's always a way of escape. The question is, will you take it? And I'll tell you, if you bite into temptation and you seriously violate God's word, your integrity is going to take a hit. And I've got news for you. All of us have bit into temptation. There's people here, you've done the right thing, even with the wrong motive. I will tell you, this is the beauty of the gospel and the gospel of grace. What God does is he brings healing and restoration. God brings forgiveness. God never sees us in our sin, but always in the sun. But you need to understand that when you violate God's word and your integrity takes a hit and you've got to be on the sideline, it's kind of the equivalent of like when you break a bone in your body. I've broken multiple bones in my body. It's, it's not fun. Uh, generally, it has like a cast and a period where you can't do the things that you normally have to do. Maybe you have to do crutches. It's not pretty and it's not fun. But it's usually only temporary. And there's this period of healing and restoration. And then you kind of get back to normal. Well, that's kind of what it looks like, friends. If your integrity takes a hit because you've bought into sin, you've had to be sidelined. Friends, Jesus doesn't want you to stay there. He wants to bring healing and wholeness. And he does so through his grace. But this text is so very important. If you're going to be a spiritual influencer, you have to have the perspective of having the discipline like an athlete. And then let me give you just the final picture that Paul paints. He says you also need to be diligent like a farmer. Look at verse 6. The hardworking farmer ought to be the first to receive his share of the crops. So now he's talking about farmers. I'll tell you, some of the hardest working people are farmers. I mean... You have to plant the crops at the time it's, it's ready. It's now's the time to plant. You can't like, well, I'll do it when I feel like it. No. You've got to deal with all sorts of problems, all sorts of maybe too much rain, not enough rain. Hail, you're, you've got to deal with weeds. You've got to deal with bugs. When it's harvest time, you don't go on a vacation. You've got to harvest. No matter what's happening in your life, that harvest needs to get in. It needs to be brought in. It needs to be put in bins. This the work of a farmer is difficult and it's hard. And all farmers take a long-term perspective. They understand that, yeah, tilling the soil and planting the seeds, it may not look like much now, but there is a harvest that is coming. That same mentality is what you and I need to be spiritual influencers. We need to take the long-term perspective. So often, we're so caught up in the idea that there's just this instant maturity, like just add water and mix. It doesn't work that way. Spiritual maturity 
being a spiritual influencer requires a long-term perspective. If you're just kind of like, I just want to show up and just do something for like five minutes and, and call it good, you're not going to be a spiritual influencer. Spiritual influencers are taking the long-term perspective. They're like a farmer that's planting those seeds. And what happens is those seeds eventually grow. And you know who benefits first? Notice what the text says. The hardworking farmer ought to be the first to receive his share of the crop. When you're involved in God's ministry of spiritual influence, what happens is that you receive the benefits first. You learn things about God and yourself by engaging in ministry like this that you would have never discovered. You mature, you find grace, you gain faith. You see other people coming to Christ, starting to take steps of faith. I tell you, when you're involved in that kind of ministry, when you see people, whether it be your kids, people at church, what happens is you just are like so encouraged. You cannot give it up. It's like, I need more of this. It creates an insatiable desire. But the only way that you'll ever see that is if you've got a long-term perspective. Some people say, oh man, there's nothing happening here, so you may as well give up. That's not how a farmer goes about it. Like, yeah, I don't see anything coming up here, but I'm going to keep waiting and praying. That's the perspective here. And so as you're considering this and you're thinking about being a spiritual influencer, look at Paul, how he ends this in verse 7. He says, consider what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Paul says, listen, Jesus is in the business of helping you understand. Ask him, seek him. He will show you and he'll help you to understand these things. You see, the investments that we make really determine the influence of our lives. There's a guy by the name of Os Guinness. He's a pretty famous Christian author. He's written or edited about 30 books. He had a book come out uh, this last year called Impossible People. Impossible People. And in this book, he writes of his experiences growing up as a missionary kid in China. He was born in 1941 uh, in China during World War II. At the age of five, his parents who are missionaries, they're medical missionaries, they send him away from Nanjing, used to be the capital of China. They send him to Shanghai when this boy is only five years old to get an education because there really weren't a lot of very good schools in Nanjing at the time. So they send this five-year-old boy away, but before he goes, his dad goes and finds two small flat stones, and on these stones, on one he paints his personal motto, and on the other he paints the motto of his mother. On the stone that he gave where he put his own motto, his motto was this, found faithful. So he paints that on the stone. And on his, the one from his mother, her motto was simply this, please him. Found faithful, please him. So they, he said, when I was five years old, I received this from my dad. He said, I carried those stones with me every day. I put them in my flannel shorts, part of the British uniform that they had. He said, I put them in each, one in each pocket. And I carried with them every day because now he's completely separated from his parents. When things got so bad during the Cultural Revolution, uh, and he had to flee when, all, when China was expelling all the foreigners, um, he said those stones in the midst of the chaos were lost. But listen to what he said. I have never forgotten the lesson of the little stone. Followers of Jesus are called to be found faithful and to please him always, everywhere, in spite of everyone and everything. And friends, this is the profound goal that God has for his people. Let's pray. Lord, we want to thank you for this amazing passage of scripture. 
to give us in clarity what the right power, the right priority, and the right perspective. And Lord, you know that we're incapable of doing this, so we need you. You said you'd never leave us or forsake us. You give us grace, grace that is found in Christ. So strengthen us, renew us. If we're sidetracked or we're sinning, forgive us. But Lord, may we understand that this is our time, our generation, to bloom and to blossom and to fulfill what you've called us to do. And Lord, for someone who's come here today, perhaps they've never trusted you, but you've brought them here to trust your son. Would they pray with me and say, Lord, I turn from self and my sin, and I believe in Christ for life, forgiveness. Lord, would you accomplish your purposes for your glory? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.